is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs is in his 41st year as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. I wanted to tell you what a great service you provide to this community. I listen to your show every week. Thank you for what you do for our community, for all the parents, coaches, and athletes. And now, here's your host, rated one of the best therapists in Kansas City, Missouri, by OnlineTherapy.com, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports, and we are having going to have a great show this morning because I've got a tremendous guest who's going to be joining us in a moment. You know, I've been doing this show for 31 years. I've been a sports psychologist for 41 years here in Kansas City, work with athletes all over the country. And, and as you know, if you listen to the show, our podcasts are everywhere. I love sports. I've played sports my whole life, and I love interviewing and talking with people about the mental side of sports, about psychology and how how coaches work, how athletes work. And, you know, mental health has been one of the topics I've talked about forever on the show. And for many years, people have poo-pooed me about, oh, it's not that important. And, of course, this year we've seen the importance of mental the mental health aspect of sports more than ever with what happened in the Olympics with Simone Biles, with Naomi Osaka pulling out of the French Open. We're hearing many, many athletes talk about mental health. Today in Kansas City is a big day. It's the AFC Championship game. And the NFC Championship game is going on in Los Angeles. We'll determine who plays in the Super Bowl in two weeks. And I'm privileged this morning to have joining me someone who knows all about those things. He coached a Super Bowl champion. He coached a team that didn't win. But he coached three franchises and took them to success. He's up for the NFL Hall of Fame. You all know who he is. He's Coach Dick Vermeil. Coach, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. My pleasure. How are you today? I'm doing good. Yeah, I forgot about this. So <laughs> at 85, I forget a lot of things. <laughs> well, I'm glad you remembered, and uh, I know it's early, so thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, are you excited about these games today? I'm sure you probably are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited about it. Of course, you know, I, I've remained a very close chief fan, you know, and I'm a good friend of Andy Reid's and, of course, the Clark family, you know, uh, I'm so thankful that Carl Peterson and Lamar Hunt brought me there. Well, let me tell you something. We were thankful you came here. Uh, I've been going to Chiefs games since the first game they ever played. I went to the first Super Bowl, and uh, God willing, I'll be going in two weeks again. But uh, we'll see what happens today. Let me ask you, those games last weekend, all ending like they did, Have you, as a coach, have you ever seen anything like that before? I have not. I don't remember ever seeing even one game, like the Kansas City game last week, but all four, all four teams, you know, uh, uh, last week, yeah, but they were just unbelievable. Yeah. Let me ask you something. You know, special teams are, are not talked about that much, but in the end, sometimes they determine the win or the loss. Here in Kansas City, of course, Harrison Bucker made a 49-yard field goal at the end of the game 
to send the game into overtime if he missed it, the season's over. The pressure right. on kickers, and and I mentioned to you when I spoke to you before, I've worked with kickers my whole career. Nick Lowry worked with me the last 13 years he played. He retired the most accurate kicker in football. You know, kick, the, the pressure on kickers is immense, and they've got to be able to block everything out. As a coach, how did you help them? You know, I know, I know you, you worked in all aspects of the game, but what would you say to kickers? How did you work with them to help them concentrate and be at their best in those key moments? I don't know if I did anything specific. I don't think I treated a kicker any different than I treated a quarterback. You know, I tried to lump every football player position into the same approach. I had problems with kickers when they didn't have the same football mentality as a player playing another position. And I always looked for the kicker that had the same mental profile uh, as a player, you know, just, and also as a, like a long snapper. Oh, all he does is long snap, but one bad long snap and you're in trouble. And you would like him to have the same mentality as the offensive center or the guards, you know, that same uh, mental toughness, would you say? Uh, But uh, I don't think I ever did anything uh, any different with those guys. You know, I was the very first special teams coach ever hired in the National Football League in 1969 by George Allen. And uh, so I've been around kickers all my life, and some I just had a hard time living with because they uh, were different. We're different. You know, I've got some good stories to tell on a few of them. I'm sure you do, and we, we would be glad to hear some if you want to share some. But let me let me ask you this question. Um, you say have the same mindset, and what is that? What is what? You know, to, when I work with athletes, and I, as I said, I've worked with athletes for 41 years doing this. To make today in in, in our society today, I think if you make it to the collegiate level to play sports, you survive youth sports. Because youth sports today has so many issues. And if you make it to the professional level, obviously you physically and mentally have some characteristics that are different from other people. What would you describe that mentality to be to make it to, to, to make it to the NFL? What's it about? Well, I think it's about mental toughness. I think it also helps number three, you know, number two uh, <laughs> gifted athletes, a skill, no matter how mentally tough you are or psychologically stable you are. If you're a gifted athlete, you're not going to make it to the National Football League. But there are gifted athletes that don't, and I've seen them, and I've seen guys come in and fail because they don't have the mental toughness and the depth of structure within their profile. Many times it stems from how they were raised or weren't raised. They just grew up. They just got older. And I think uh, there's a strong reflection of that kind of personality uh, coming into the National Football League all the time, and they overcome the lack of great uh, uh, structure in their family lives and uh, do it anyway, usually because of the positive influence of another person, another family, a football coach, uh, somebody that takes somebody that uh, under their wing and gives them the guidance and uh, a positive approach uh, to help them be what they end up becoming, you know. You know, uh, you're on the show today because our good friend Al Saunders hooked us up. I've known Al for a long time, not obviously as long as you have. A man I respect immensely. And um, Al, Al and I have talked about this a lot just in private conversations, just about the importance of mental toughness and the mental side. How important is it in the end 
to be mentally strong in the NFL? I mean, we know physically you got to be strong, but in the end, how important is the mental aspect of it? Oh, it's very strong uh, to me with great structure. I mean, the first thing I come to think about Trent Green and, that, and these kind of players, Will Shields and all these guys, great mental toughness, and they show it. And, you know, it's not a, not a physical thing. It's not a physical thing. It's a deep personality trait that they do what they say they're going to do regardless of the situation. They make it work. And they just don't surrender mental in any aspect of their lives. You know, and then, uh, you know, those kind of guys like Tony Gonzalez, uh, mentally tough, yes. You know, and sometimes players like these guys have reasons not to be mentally tough. <clears throat> but uh, they are anyway, and uh, I think uh, I I realize realize that more and more and more as I coach uh, different players because I was out of the league 14 years, <clears throat> and I watched players play in college when I was broadcasting and NFL players play when I was in broadcasting for 14 years, and sometimes you can you can pick it out you can pick out that profile and just watch him, and you know this guy has. It's mentally tough to discipline his way of thinking and how he handles the positive, how he handles the negative, uh, how he blends it together to, to keep it going the right direction, how when, he handles it, everything. Yeah. When we come back from our break here, I want to I want to explore that even more with you, especially talk about Kurt Warner and the movie American Underdog. How how what you saw in him because that's a great story. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm privileged today to be talking to NFL coach Dick Vermeil. We're on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHP. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs, host of the Sports Psychology Hour. Is your New Year's resolution to become stronger, healthier, and more resilient? Then start with the Rewire Fitness Neuro Performance app. Rewire Fitness takes a holistic approach to achieving peak performance, letting you strengthen both your body and mind, with Rewire's Integrated Resilience Training System. You'll measure and track your readiness to perform across a holistic set of data points using cognitive, physical, and emotional measures. Rewire Fitness uses protocols from NASA, the Navy SEALs, and neuroscientists. And now, Rewire Fitness is offering a free trial to my listeners. Just go to winnersunlimited.com slash rewire. Click Learn More to sign up for your free 7-day trial of Rewire Fitness. That's winnersunlimited.com slash rewire. Start 2022 by becoming stronger, healthier, and more resilient. Go to winnersunlimited.com slash rewire and click learn more today. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Andrew Jacobs. And uh, don't fear the Reaper because uh, today out at Arrowhead, we'll be seeing what that Reaper does on the field. That's uh, Patrick Mahomes' new moniker. Thanks to Coach Andy Reid. Hey, Coach Dick Vermeil is joining us today, and I'm so privileged to have him on as a guest with us today. Coach, let me ask you this question. Confidence is something that I've worked with athletes on my whole career, and I see it at all levels. It doesn't matter if it's an Olympian, a professional athlete, college athlete. Confidence seems to me to be the foundation of everything. How do you build confidence and how do you destroy it in an athlete as a coach? Because I I have so many athletes that I come in, will come into my office and work with me, and their confidence is affected by how the coach interacts with them or doesn't interact with them. Well, I think the first thing you do as a coach, you have to approach things positively. You know, 
when I was a high school football coach in Northern California, my assistant coach's father had coached in Northern California for 45 years. And he made a statement to me one day, and I never forgot it. He said, you can't, you can't make a champion out of a guy you continually call a chump. And I never forgot that. And I sort of built that around my philosophy of working with kids. Uh, you attack the problem, not the person. You know, when he makes a mistake and gives up a sack, you attack his technique, not his willingness to do it right or his preparation to do it right or how much how meaningful it is to him. You attack it. He didn't kick right with your left foot. You didn't your hand placement and your jam was not good. These kinds of things. And uh, you know, there's there's times every once in a while as a coach, I know I did it. You you you, you lose your temper, you know, and you do or say something you wouldn't normally do, but that's not your normal routine. And other players also learn from how you handle the other player. You know, and it, as they gradually are with you long enough, they, they, they know how you approach things. And uh, so the one time you're maybe more upset with somebody than you should be, it, it's not as negative because they know they've been watching you handle all the players, plus they know how you, they handled you, the individual, uh, uh, most of the time anyway. You know what I mean? So uh, one crushing upset uh, performance or or comment or it doesn't beat you up and send you down. You know, I've coached kids, if you told them how lousy they were playing, they'd play worse. I've coached kids that weren't playing well. I call them and tell them how well they're starting to play and they play better. So I've seen it all at all age groups and all ages. Well, let me let me hit on that with you because, and I really love what you're saying here because this this is in parallel with everything I've talked about for years. One of the issues I think, and you've got grandchildren, you, you've got kids, grandchildren, you, you've been around all this. I see in youth sports today so much emphasis on winning and on results and not enough on development and having fun. I mean, that word fun has gone out of youth sports in a lot of places. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, there's uh, – <laughs> John Madden once said this. I remember I never forgot it, that uh, winning is the greatest deodorant in the National Football League. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, that's our society, you know, winning. And, uh, I think you have to make sure you include as important playing well. You know, you play the best game you played all year. Compete. You could do that today. So I, I think uh, I'm not too sure that we should give everybody uh, a gold medal when they don't win as young kids. You know, yeah. I, I, I think there should be a, a a separation or a definition between winning and and losing in regard to the reward system. But I, it, uh, losing doesn't mean a demeaning approach to a person or a blaming approach. You know, it's a matter of fact. And by handling property when you do fail, you're going to better prepare a young person to handle the lows of his career outside of football, outside of everything, because he's going to have problems in his own family when he grows up. He's going to have problems at work. He's going to have all kinds of things go wrong. And you have to help them handle it properly. And you can't always just, I, in my opinion, you can't always tell them, well, that's all right. It doesn't matter anyway, you know. <laughs> 
not our American way. And I, I think sometimes, I mean, I saw this at our grad camps yet. Uh, they come home with so many trophies pretty quick they're not meaningful. You get what anyway. I think you've got to make the reward of doing things right and successful uh, a, a, a better uh, positive experience and a more meaningful experience. If you group everybody into the same when it wasn't, they weren't all successful, then I, I think you cheat them a little bit. That's just my thought. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is potential Hall of Fame coach Dick Verley is a Hall of Fame coach, in my opinion. Dick Vermeil, we'll find out in a couple weeks about that, Dick. And, and I listen, I appreciate everything you're saying here because I think kids and young coaches need to hear this. And along the lines of that, mentioned uh, as we went to our break, uh, you coached Kurt Warner. I saw the movie American Underdog, great movie. Dennis Quaid portrayed you in that movie. Just tell us a little bit about that because I think that fits in with what you're saying here, just about his personality and how he overcame so much to, to, to make it to the Rams and get to that level. Well, that was persistence, a deep faith, a great support system in his girlfriend and wife. Uh, he could, he, you know, his dad was not in his life as he started really uh, maturing as a man and competing as an athlete. Uh, I, I don't think there are a lot of Kurt Warners like I don't think there are a lot of Trent Grains. You know, if you put everybody in that same category, we would uh, <laughs> there would be no problems in the world that somebody couldn't solve. You know, <clears throat> but... Uh, they are unique, unique people. And I often say the guys that go in big games and get things done, and especially guys that were never expected to do that, like Kirk Warner. Oh, Trent Green is really, you know, he was around the league for a long time before anyone gave him a chance to really be the starter and play. You know, and uh, it's like the military guy that goes into battle. No one knows who's going to be the Medal of Honor winner. You can't predict it. You know, the, the military is spending a lot of money, and I've spoken in some of those clinics where they're trying to pre-test to determine who they are. They can't do it. You know, it just, there are some people that have that maybe grit. I don't know what it is, uh, but uh, and uh, but it also stems with a confidence about them, uh, a real belief in themselves, and uh, they get it done anyway. You know, and if no one, I didn't predict Kurt Warner could do what he did i thought he could play once i saw him for a year as our third quarterback because not coaching a position head coaches in everybody's secondary or backfield and you're watching closely what other people do and i studied him for 16 games as our third quarterback running the opponent's offense <laughs> and I, there, you know, there's something about this guy i like you know and uh he ended up going way beyond my expectations I thought, but I thought he could play well. I didn't know he could play at a Medal of Honor winner level, you know. Well, I think that's also because you gave him a chance, and I think that's what I've heard from so many people about you is you gave people chances, you believed in them, and that's what I want to get into when we come back from our next segment here and talk about this whole issue of, of confidence and, and how it can be destroyed in an athlete and how you build it back up because as a coach you've done that so many times. You've worked with athletes and helped build them up. One of the reasons you've been so successful, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Coach Dick Vermeil. We all know who he is. He's coached three franchises, the Eagles, the Rams, and the Chiefs, took them from the doldrums to success. We're going to talk about that. We're going to explore the importance of mental health in sports, too, because he knows a little bit about that. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. 
Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm privileged to have my guest this morning, Coach Dick Vermeil. We're talking about his philosophies about sports and just his opinions on, on the psychological aspect. You know, Coach, I always say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will be the one to come out on top. What's your thought on that? No question. Yeah. yeah but, there's no question. And that's all level. I saw the variations in high school. I saw the variations in personalities in junior college, in Division One football, at Stanford, UCLA, and then in three different NFL teams. It exists on every roster. You know, we're, we're not robots. We're human beings. Well, you you know you were very famous for saying you, you you stopped coaching with the Eagles because you were burned out. A topic that a lot of people say doesn't exist. I've always felt like it does. Would you mind sharing just what was going on with you then? Why that happened and and why you got back into it again? Well, I, you know, I allowed the uh, passion to become an obsession, and uh, I kept thinking if I worked longer and harder I could work better and it really uh, was the opposite you know it's more important to work efficiently and intelligently than just uh, length of time or period of hours you put in thinking you're going to find out something on the 18th hour of the day that you couldn't found out four hours ago you know what I mean yeah you were famous for spending the night at the facility weren't you yeah, you know, and if we lost a game, sometimes when we come home, I just go to my office and sleep in my office and start, you know, start preparing for the next game after losing or winning the game. You just experienced, you know, and it just it snowballs on you. And I got so that I couldn't get over a loss fast enough, you know, and uh, therefore it negatively influenced by preparing for the next game, I'd be Wednesday thinking about the mistakes or what I should have done on Sunday that would have maybe helped us win the game or give us a better chance. To, and therefore, I'd find myself on Thursday way behind where I should be in preparing for Sunday, the new, new game. Then what happens, you start winning a lot, and then as soon as you win, you don't take a period of time to really enjoy it. I can, I'll never forget this. We beat Dallas for the first time. It took four years to beat them. We go there on a Monday night and, and beat them uh, in November, first time ever. And they're a good football team. We're, we're becoming a good, good football team. And on the airplane flying home, my wife says, what's wrong with you? You, you don't seem like you're enjoying it. Well, my mind was already on the next game. I, I didn't take the time to allow the accomplishment of my team and my staff, and even myself, to become an enjoyable few hours. <laughs> is that is that where Marty Schottenhammer came up with the 24-hour rule? I, maybe, I don't know if he came yeah. up with it, but he used to talk he about had, that. He had the mental discipline to do that. I, I, I got so I lost that. I, I got so I lost that. And I would blame myself all the time for things. I can remember losing a game to Cleveland in Philadelphia. We're going to win the ball game, and a big game. And uh, Wilbert Montgomery fumbles on 38 Bob Sweep. I remember the play, okay? And I'm mad at myself for calling that play because if I hadn't called that play, he wouldn't fumble the ball, you know? So those things add up, and they just burn you up. And uh, <clears throat> the way I was raised, 
my dad was tough personality, not a mean personality, but a tough on me, especially the oldest son. Uh, and I think I was held to a higher standard than my uh, three other siblings. And uh, nothing was ever quite good enough. So I was all striving to please him and almost never did. You know, and those things, uh, I don't think over long periods of time are really healthy. I think your father and my father must have known each other quite well. That sounds very familiar. You know, or well, um, old-fashioned way of raising kids. You know, you, I, his garage was 25 yards next to the house where I was raised in. So I walked out the back steps 25 yards into the garage and worked as soon as I was old enough to clean parts and all those. So I was always around him. There were very few times I ever did anything right. <laughs> well, you obviously from all that developed a philosophy that allowed you to overcome that. You know, uh, I've talked about the importance of mental health in sports forever on this show. I've been ridiculed. I've been insulted. People have said, oh, you don't, you, you know, you're just talking about being weak. Um, like I said, you can have two athletes who are physically the same with one with a stronger mind will come out on top. To develop a stronger mind, you have to understand success and failure. You have to learn how to handle it and deal with balance. And if you're not balanced as a person, it, it causes issues. And it sounds like at that point in your life, you really weren't balanced with that, were you? Oh, no, not even close. So how did you overcome that? How did you? I know, know it's well documented. You worked with Phil Toll in Topeka, talked with him a lot. I mean, how did you overcome that? Well, I, I went to a psychologist here in Philadelphia and spent some time with him. Okay, I actually went and visited with Dr. Freudenberger, who wrote the book on burnout. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget, I came in, got off the train. He was in New York. I got home, walked in the house. And the first thing my wife said to me was, how long do you think what it'll take you to straighten him out? <laughs> <laughs> Smart, Alex. But anyway. And what was your answer? Yeah, oh, I don't know. But I, I recognized the book described me. It rec- you know, it was as if he knew me. Because when I sat down and talked with him, he started describing me, and I said, have you talked to my wife? You know, and he hadn't. So that's, that made me know it's real. You know, if you can write a book, and then you as a patient or a client come in and know that book and think the book was written about you, uh, it's a little scary. So I got some professional help for a year, and I enjoyed that. And one of the things he said to me, but I never forgot this. He said, you got to learn to accept a compliment. <laughs> That's pretty fundamentally easy. You know, most people have no problem accepting a compliment. But I always had in the back of mind the person gave me a compliment didn't really mean it. Why, why was re- that? Why do you think that was? I think because of my, the influence of my dad. Yeah. Really? Right. Yeah. Whenever you did something, my guess is whenever you did something good, he'd say you could do it better. Yeah, I would not say anything at all. Yeah. I know I did it better than the last time I did it. I know because I did everything better because I was reprimanded for not doing it at a certain level. And uh, so I, I, I knew. But uh, sometimes not saying anything at all is as bad as saying something negative. Do you, do you think as a coach it's important to open up to your players about who you are? especially Even at the NFL level, I think to let them know you as a person – that you're not a robot? Well, I, 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 and that's the only way I could do it. That's the, I mean, I, I didn't do it on purpose. That's just me. Uh, 
I didn't have a plan. Uh, that's just me. I, I enjoyed my players. I enjoyed my third string tight end as much as I did my all-pro Hall of Famer. Okay. I just enjoyed the people that I was working with, the assistant coaches, the players. Hey, Lamar Hunt, I think I enjoyed as much. Just the little time I got to spend in the five-year period I was there as, and as, as much as anybody I ever spent time with. You know, just certain qualities in people. And if that was, you know, it's, I don't know. I enjoyed that. You know, I, I know I, I, I read, I've read sports psychologist stuff and these kinds of things, and I believe in it. I really do. And Phil Toll was somebody I could talk to that knew nothing about football, but spent a lot of his lifetime in regard to dealing with mental health, you know. And when I left the Eagles, I was not in good mental health. And every once in a while, not at my age, now at 85, but it would re, it would show up in other things other than coaching football. Okay. When we I come back, when we come back from our our, our last break here, I'd, I'd like to explore this a little bit with you, if you don't mind sharing it with us, because you know I've always emphasized the importance of having someone like me on the staff of a team, because I think it's essential and necessary. And today we're seeing it even more so. But I want to get your your views on that. And obviously, as someone who's had to deal with this personally, because you understand it, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, having a tremendous interview with. Hall of, Hall of Fame coach Dick Vermeil. It's, it, I really appreciate everything he's saying this morning. And if you're listening to the show, make sure people listen to this podcast because it's going to help a lot of people out. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. And joining me today is Coach Dick Vermeil. We're having a tremendous interview here about his views on sports and, and mental health and psychology and confidence and everything. And, Coach, I once again, thank you so much. I know it's early in, in Pennsylvania. No, I'm I'd like to finish what we were talking about. Go ahead. I always wanted my players to know me as a person other than just as a coach it's just and it wasn't planned it's just like i said it's my profile as a person but i really enjoyed that you know that in fact the dining room table in this house is the one we traveled with when i went back into coaching in st louis and and uh, kansas city because it opens and seats 18 people and we could have our players over to our house and, and feed them and uh, pour a glass of wine for them and visit with them and, and see them in a different light. Not only see them, but they see us as human beings because you hear things in those environments that are not said in a meeting room in the NFL or on the practice field or in the locker room or, or even behind closed doors in your own office. It's a totally different. And I think they get to better understand you as a person and that, that they know you care. They, they know you care. And uh, I, I think if I miss any one thing, is I, I miss the relationships of all those wonderful people, the outside unders of the world, and these kind of guys, just wonderful human beings. I, I miss that positive influence on me on a daily basis. Well, that's what's great about telephones and FaceTime, yeah. so you can see them. You yeah. know, I, I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you utilize that a lot. Let, let, let me ask you. Yeah. You know, um, I love what you're sharing with us because you're sharing who you are, and and I think that's why, in part, you became as successful as you as you did. You know, when you left the Eagles because you were, quote-unquote, burned out, you explored who you were, 
went in, in, into some in, you, you got some insight into, into yourself and it, it helped you obviously change. I think we all change as we grow. And I've talked forever about the importance of, of the mental aspect. And I've been, as I said earlier, uh, I'm one of the first sports psychologists in Major League Baseball in 1990. I worked with the Royals. I worked with the Olympic team back in the 80s. I was the University of Kansas first sports psychologist back in the 80s. Um, but I've had many people who didn't want me around because they don't want to shrink there. And they, they're they offended by it. They're scared by it. What's your opinion on, on sports psychologists and the importance of having them on teams, not just at the professional, but the collegiate level as well? I, I Of course, obviously, it's what I do, and I believe in it, but I want to get your, your opinion on that. You understand both sides of this. What, what would, what's your opinion? Well, I definitely think there should there's a strong place for emotional guidance, sports psychologists, whatever you want to call them. Uh, 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 you know, especially with today's staff, we've got, 20, 25 coaches on coaching staff. And uh, I've always felt the player programs like Lamont Winston did for me and uh, got uh, my guy at uh, Kevin Warren at St. Louis, who is now the commissioner of the, the Big Ten, uh, did wonderful jobs with my players off the field, in their home, in their meeting room, at a restaurant, in the offseason, in the season, the day after a tough loss, uh, the day after three interceptions by a quarterback, you know. Somebody else other than a coach visiting with him and talking to him. You know, trust is not a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. And if they don't really know you, it's harder for them to really trust you in depth, in, in really depth. And uh, so uh, I know I just, I don't know when I'm sort of talking in circles, but I really do believe there's a, a, a real good position for a sports psychologist or a, a person that not maybe not even have that training, but to just be really good at communicating with kids and people and men, because you know, believe it or not, NFL guys are still kids, you know, uh, and some of them still act like it, you know. Yes, I, I am aware of that, as you, as you and I both know. Um, you know, um, when 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 we look at everything now in sports, uh, the Social media aspect has played such a huge role. That wasn't around as much, obviously, when you were coaching. Do you see that as a detractor so much today for a lot of these guys? Repeat that. Social media, you know, all the stuff that, you know, everything everything you do is everybody sees it. Everybody knows what you're doing. Yeah. I see I that as a, as a negative for a lot of these. I, I, in fact, I always oh. tell the athletes that come into me, the, the professional athletes that I work with, get off social media, have somebody else do it for you, stay off it. Because when you do, when you, you know, you, you make a great play, everybody loves you. And when you screw up, everybody hates you. And they don't know yeah. who you are. Yeah. Well, the guy that t- first taught me that was John Wooden. Okay. <laughs> I had my office next to his. And I'll never ever forget my first but going into my first season at UCLA as the head coach now, as the head coach in 1974, he said, coach, he says, uh, when you're coaching, he says, you don't read the sports page and you don't listen to the sports radio talk shows. What they say about you is good probably isn't all true. What they say about you that's bad is probably all not true. So you don't need the distraction. He says, it, it's, it breaks your focus on what you're doing. And no matter who you are, you don't like criticism. And, uh, and some, it's so easy to believe what they're saying. What, it's good. He says, no, stay away from it. And uh, so help me God, in every job I had, when I even when I came back in the NFL, and, uh, you know, each, we're losing bad at St. Louis my first two years, I stayed out of it. 
I never went into a press conference mad at anybody because he called me an idiot. You know, a lot of these guys in sports media say things on the radio they would never say to a person face-to-face. Right. You know, it, right. And uh, so uh, it, I think that really helped me. And I still, to this day, I don't like to read anything. My name is in it or any kind of anything. I just, I just, I don't know. Are you going to see American Underdog? I've seen it. I've hosted it three times. Okay. Better each time I saw it. And did Dennis Quaid do you good? You know, I don't know. I don't know. How do we know what we look like to other people? (laughs) I I did appreciate them using some exact conversation comments I made to Kirk in the movie. But I only talked to him about 10 minutes through the whole process of making the movie. And uh, they took two statements I uh, used in, in conversation and used it in the movie, which made me feel good. Well, yeah, before, we, excuse me, but yeah. we've we got to finish up here in a second. But before I finish, I, I have to ask you a question. My younger sister, Joanne, loves to drink wine. She lives in Chicago. I told her I was going to have you on as a guest today. She wanted me to ask you what's your favorite Cabernet. She said, please ask him that question. Well, you know, I have so many different Cabernets. Being born and raised in Napa Valley, my favorite of my own, is normally the, either the Rosedale block or the Pickett Road block Cabernets. Both 100% Cabernets. We only make about 135 cases of each one. They're $135 bottles of wine. They're expensive. They're very good. They get 95, 96, 93 grades uh, each year. And uh, but you know, if, you know, if wine tastes good to you, it doesn't matter what you paid for it. You know, if it tastes good to you, it's good wine. Everybody has a different taste. You know, some people like chocolate. Some people like vanilla. So. There are people that pretend like they know a lot about wine, so they really define which one they like the best. But most of us don't. Even me, who was born and raised in it and now involved in the business side of it. <laughs> if it tastes good to me, it's good wine. <laughs> is that is that enjoyment for you now? Is that a, a great release for you? Yeah, I enjoy it. It makes my mind work every day. I'm involved, you know, and I really enjoy putting on the wine dinners around the country, uh, meeting people. You know, the country club environment where people have money to buy quality wines. So I've got, we've got 424 wine club members in my wine club, Vermeer Wine Club. And we'll probably have over 500 at the rate we're going right now over the first year. And that might be max for us because we don't uh, have enough grapes to make more, you know. But anyway, uh, it's going well. Carl Peterson's involved. Trent Green and Todd Collins are limited partners, you know. Uh, so I, I like that. I, I like that. There's some negatives to it. But overall, I like it. The one thing I wanted to ask you, if you have time to answer this. We've got, yeah, a minute, a minute. Go, go ahead. People always tell me you should never criticize something, uh, a person in a group, in front of the entire group. And I was in coaching situations as an assistant coach, and I would see coaches that would really get after somebody's butt in front of everybody else if he was a backup player. and made him. But if he was a starter, nothing was said. And then maybe he'd talk to him privately. And I always made up my mind. See, then the other players start thinking, well, you know, you know, if you're good, you can get away with anything. If you're bad, you're going to get the blame. So, you know, I, I would from time to time really get after a good player in front of the, his whole position or whole team. And uh, they say you shouldn't do that. You should do it in private. But I've heard some <laughs> – since I've retired, I've, a number of times I've had players talk about me doing that and it made them feel we're all in the same we're all in the same team <laughs> well i think everybody should be treated the same way dick it doesn't matter if you're star or reserve i think if you treat everybody the same way there's going to be that mutual respect and i think if you're going to criticize somebody to me personally you do it privately one-on-one and discuss it with them and i think that's where you can get the most out of them 
I think yeah. when you do it in front of everybody, it, it can cause other I did issues. I that all the time, Doctor, because I heard so many negative comments as an assistant coach uh, uh, about a player saying about the coach, well, if it were me, I would have gotten my ass chewed out. But it's because he's a starter. They didn't say anything to him. Coach, we got to go. I, listen, I, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. That I, I think everybody who's going to listen to this show is going to get something out of it. You've been a tremendous guest. I loved having you on. And uh, anytime you're thank in Kansas City, I'd love to take you to dinner. I, I, I would love to right. do that. Thank go you so Chiefs. much for joining us today. Go Chiefs. <laughs> there you go. We'll see it. Thank you, Dick, Coach Dick Vermeil. Thank you so much. Have a great day. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. We're on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.